being immersed in solutions-based journalism um, and solutions-based media um, really does feel like this wonderful push that makes me feel more of an active part of the world. Things aren't happening to me or happening to the world. I have more agency to go be a person that can be helpful. Or if I have a friend that needs t- needs um, you know a recommendation or something like that, I can be helpful towards them. Um, and I think that that's a it's really important that we can be there for other people and also be for ourselves to be active participants in, in the world and feel like we can actively make a difference. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that bring one aha moment after another to you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening right now all over the world that almost no one knows enough about. Yes, it is still an amazing world. And on this podcast, we will introduce you to the people making it that way. We are here to shine a light on ingenious solutions and give you insights that you need to find and cultivate your own unique ability to contribute, large and small, to a future that will be better for us all. And here's the thing. Even though the thought leaders I'm interviewing here on the Goodness Exchange Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, even though they are tackling some of the biggest problems in the world, they still think the future is bright. This is huge. We need to know what they know. We need to know how they get around obstacles and change setbacks into opportunity. And today we're going to interview someone who is a a master at that. Today we're interviewing Liesl Ulrich Reduber co-founder of the Goodness Exchange. She is a Harvard grad. She spent her entire life traveling the world. And I'm very fortunate in that she's also my daughter and co-founder of this whole big project to shine a light on all the good happening in the world. So Liesl, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, mom. Well, I'll tell you, this is our hundredth episode of the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. I know it's it's so it crazy. Is, it is a head shaker. And when we started this, this was September, October of the beginning of the pandemic, 2020. Yeah, 20, 2020 or 2019. Yeah, 2020. Were we pre-pandemic? Yeah, yeah. No, no, 2020. Okay, okay. And what was going on in the world was that, you know, the future looked pretty bleak by by September of that first year of the pandemic. We've all forgotten what, what that looked like. But gosh. I think most of us thought the pandemic would be over in six months and we'd be skipping our way into a just delightful future. (laughs) And as I mentioned, Liesl has been my co-founder in the Goodness Exchange, this marvelous place where we hope you'll go to improve your media diet, we call it. (laughs) You just make sure you're getting some positive stuff, some real insight and innovation that's going uncelebrated. So Liesl and I talk periodically on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, but not that often. No, no. Uh, So today for our hundredth episode, we're going to celebrate by introducing you to Thought Leader that is changing the world with her actions, with her good fortune, and with the cleverness with that she uh, combines all the cool people that we work with to write these amazing articles at the Goodness Exchange. So Lisa, give us a little background as we start out here about what you hope people get from this, this interview today, because this, this is a mile post, a hundred episodes, all focused at the possibilities in the world instead of the scary negative stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that's exciting about this being the 100th episode is that this is really 100 episodes in, but we are eight years in the making of Goodness Exchange, which was previously, as some of your listeners might know, Ever Widening Circles. So we started in 2014 with this idea that we should write one article every day on any subject under the sun, as long as it proved it was still an amazing world. And obviously that has changed over the course of time. I think we found our niche, we found our skill set, we found an audience of people and learned what they want to consume and, and how they want to consume it. And so things have changed a little bit. And last year, last year in December, we made this big change to move from being ever widening circles to the goodness exchange so that we could bring people more goodness in the world so we could celebrate more people, so we could connect more deeply with people, so we could offer people not just the opportunity to read articles and read their one article every day and be like, okay, great. 
you know, hope that does well, but really connect more deeply with thought leaders by hearing them on the podcast, connect more deeply with other community members, connect more deeply with the stories themselves. The way that we write has changed a little bit so people can connect more deeply with the stories we're telling. So I think really in this hundredth episode, it is this wonderful milepost of so much of what we've been putting into this world since 2014. And I think really a, it shows a level of mastery. I think, you know, I think very often we don't see all the kind of the messy things that go into people having really successful businesses or really successful nonprofits or really successful endeavors in the world that are doing good. And so it is kind of nice to reflect on where we are, what we've learned and the power that we are kind of harnessing of the kind of media that we're producing to create more good in the world and give people really what they need in this moment in history. So I'm really excited to to talk about that and to talk about the ways in which we are uniquely giving people a, a new perspective on the world. You know, as we get started here, I think it's a it's a good way to help people kind of un- understand where we come from to refresh people's memories about why media matters. You know, mm. it, it's like the internet has become so much a part of our lives and our devices, so much a part of like the way we think. It used to be like we had a real life and we had a working life, like mm. the home life and the working life. But now we have this third life. And and now what we give our attention to matters more Mm -hmm. than anything. Mm -hmm. So Liesl, talk to me about why Mia matters and where where we're headed and what what you think is possible. Yeah. I think one of the things when you look at, we used to have our home life, our business life. And then as we talk about, we now we have this like digital life. It's this whole extra life that we have that can be really wonderful. It can connect us to people that we never would have met. It can send us to places we could have never gone on our own. And at the same time, it's very fast. It's very fast paced. It's not at the pace that we would normally meet a friend at a coffee shop and have a long conversation. It's mm-hmm. it's fast. It's it's different than sort of what we've been used to our entire you know human existence and human community lives. And so at the Goodness Exchange, I like to say that we produce, our content is kind of two things. And it's kind of the opposite of what we're seeing in the normal media landscape. We produce media that matters. So very often people are like, oh, you're producing good news. That's so nice. Pat on the head, get out of here. You know, you're seeing the world through rose colored glasses. You don't understand how the world works. And I think this is the opposite of what we do. In producing media that matters, we're not sort of just writing those those good news stories that come at the very end of your news. I was talking to someone from Germany. Apparently they do this all over the world where they tell you everything that happened bad in the world. And then they give you maybe 20 seconds at the end. We're like, and Joseph, this today raised a bunch of money for the ASPCA. Thank you and have a good day. And that's it. That's what you're supposed to be left with. But when we produce media that matters, what we're saying is we're trying to educate you on maybe the issues that are at play out in the world. So why is it that there are a ton of stray dogs in, in Puerto Rico, right? And then we say, here's an organization or an individual that's changing the narrative about how we solve that problem. And then we're leaving you not with just kind of what can you do next, but also here's why you what you can do next is easy, or you can tell a friend about it, or here's the next article that would make sense to read in this series so that you can feel better, you know, not only educated, but also feel better about these issues that we see in the world. I mean, how often do we hear about, you know, climate catastrophe or you name it, and then no one or wildfires, right? And then no one gives you any solutions. And so what we like to do is produce this media that matters, that's solutions-based, that is also slow. So we're not trying to churn out a new article every single day anymore. We're not trying to produce articles that come at you every five seconds. We're really about producing sort of these golden articles every Monday and then Wednesday we have the podcast and then Friday we feature somebody else who's producing great content out in the good news world. And that's very intentional. That's not because there's not enough to write about. That's simply because we want to write really well. We don't want to add to the noise and chaos of the internet. And one of the things that our readers say is, I enjoy sitting down with every single one of your articles. And if there was any more of them, I think I would feel overwhelmed. And so it is super lovely that people are sitting down and treating these articles as special and wonderful because that's how we feel about them. We're excited to write them. We're excited to bring them to you. And our pace is not because there's not enough good news in the world. It's simply because we think these stories are worth telling in a really beautiful way. And we should give them their pedestal every single Monday and every single Wednesday and every single Friday, as opposed to 
having them exist in a infinite landscape of many, many not so well-written articles. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is part of the equation now is I hope that we can do this through the entire interview, Liesl. Let's share with people what we learned because I want to assure people that Liesl was at Harvard studying architecture and economics, right? She was not a media person. And me, I could just order a pair of shoes online and pop something on Facebook when I wanted. So that's where we began 10 years ago. And now we've learned so much about how the media, especially internet media works. And so I hope, Liesl, that we can share little behind the scenes things with people that we've learned, because we certainly have developed our own way of deciding what to give our attention to. And that shapes what comes our way. And it's mostly positive now for me because I've learned some of the secrets. So that's one of the things that you could share with people right off is that how does it work as far as the solution-based journalism versus the problem-based journalism? You know, who's the guy from Harvard who who talked about why news is newsworthy. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Uh, Steven, Steven Pinker. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that's really interesting when you talk about solutions-based media versus like problems-based media is solutions-based media is going to usually make you feel like you can do something after you've heard it or read it or seen it, or that someone is at least working on the problem. Maybe you don't have the cash in your wallet to go, you know, donate to that cause, or you don't, you know, have the time and energy to go uproot your whole life and go volunteer to go replant trees in the rainforest. But you should leave a solutions-based media, you know, an article that tells you about something bad happening in the world at least leave feeling empowered to know what the next step is. And I think very often, I don't think that's been the purview of news. That's not been the purview of news for a long time. But just because our definition of news is something right now doesn't mean it can't shift in the future, right? So this is like a very forward thinking way of doing things. I think we we have the agency to be activated, really. We have agency and we can be activated to do something about the world's big problems, or at least at the very least sharing is supporting people that are solving the world's big problems. And so that's not how like news used to work. You used to just open up your newspaper and sort of passively understand the concepts that were happening in the world. And there wasn't really, you know, someone was probably working on it. You didn't have the agency or like you do now to be able to jump online and go see their website and and donate now. Or, you know, if you heard in the past, if you heard about news happening halfway across the globe, maybe the best you could do was worry that like someone that was a loved one was not involved in the incident. Right. But nowadays we, the internet gives us the ability to go do something. And I think sometimes like we need to know the next step because now we know we can go do something. And if we're just left, it's like, makes it even more, more sad and like, sort of like crushing to hear about all these bad things and then hear not, not know what to do next. Right. Because we know that if someone says, Hey, I found this great pair of shoes, I can go buy that great pair of shoes tomorrow if I just have the, you know, URL and sort of like, if someone's like, oh, the rainforest needs help. And then no one tells us how to go help. We're like, what do I Google to find out what to do? Right. So solutions-based media is usually pointing you in a direction of what to do next. Uh, And that's what we really try and do. So. Let's give people all the way through this conversation. Let's let's give people little examples. Um, yeah. One of the examples I was going to share about that particular thing is I, I there's an interview here in the podcast with a wonderful woman from South America, who who had that exact thought. She grew up. Her grandfather had been president of Ecuador, mm-hmm. and she grew up in a family that was active about change and social entrepreneurship. And when she grew up, she she decided that this whining about the rainforest burning and destruction was getting us nowhere. So she created what I think is a beautiful organization that has, and we put all this in the show notes. So anything that Liesl and I mentioned from here on out is going to be in the show notes. Don't panic. It's this beautiful organization where I actually donate $40 a month to a family in the rainforest somewhere. So they don't sell their land to the nearby cattle corporate cattle ranch. And the great thing about it is it's not it's not just donation. You're actually paying them a yes. living wage to cultivate the rainforest instead of cultivating. So it's not even a donation. I think that's right. that's the really cool twist on it is we're not donating. We're paying people a living wage to become cultivators of the rainforest instead of like hoping that the rainforest gets saved. 
these people are able to make a, a great living better than they would be getting gouged by like if they were doing agriculture, selling off and then getting a price for their grain or for their cattle. They're actually getting a better wage. They're basically their own eco entrepreneurs. So they are learning these these things. And then their neighbor can say, oh, look, that guy is, you know, making a living wage and supporting his family, or that woman is making a living wage and supporting her family. And she's not tearing down the rain for us to do that. Right. So she's we are finding excellent ways. It's called Humans for Abundance is the organization. If you would like to go click and go, you know, and the way that she puts it, one of the ways that I love that she puts it is it's like you know, if you needed your house painted or you needed someone to come mow your lawn, you wouldn't like donate in hopes that somebody comes and like paints your house or mows your lawn. You have an expert come and paint your house or mow your lawn, right? They're experts at this and we're paying people for their expertise. And that's what we're doing with these eco entrepreneurs. We're paying for their expertise. So that was, that was a fun article for me to write. And then a great interview for you to do about humans for abundance, because it is I think that's one of the best examples that I can think of someone seeing a, a problem and then turning it on its head to find a new solution that wasn't based on our normal models and our normal concepts of thinking mm -hmm. about things. Um, can yeah. I give a, uh, a a little connect, just connect some dots here real quick for people so they understand what we're talking about. The point that Liesl made is very, very important that she will, she would just, <laughs> she would be very disappointed in me for calling it donation because that's exactly what they're not doing. They want me to think of my money, $40 a month as paying this family to support the hundred acres of rainforest that they have, paying them to garden it for me. Because I'm taking resources out of the rainforest when I buy coffee, when I do all kinds of things that down the food chain or down the production chain affect the rainforest. Okay, mm -hmm. so here's how it goes. Do you remember in the year, in the fall of 2020, there was one story after another how the rainforest was burning in Brazil. If after those broadcasts that most of us just were left with our face in our hands, if at the end of those... They just said, and here are four organizations that we've checked out that you can you can help save the rainforest. I mean, just to give us that much agency over helping. And this is the essence of solutions-based journalism. On the at the Goodness Exchange, our articles don't focus on on the problem. We we focus on the people who are solving the problems and, and I their think, stories. Yeah. And I think a big thing is like celebrating the solutions to those problems, right? It's not saying every article is going to be like, donate here, give there. No, it's it's a celebration of these people. And if you are compelled and want to go be helpful, great. But half the time, I'm just excited to know that some person is solving this problem or there's an ingenious solution happening out there to this problem that exists. You know, even as a writer, I'm excited about that. And I think that's really important is that my enthusiasm for these things comes through. I'm not burnt out like a lot of other people producers of content are because every week I'm getting to write a new article about something super incredible that is engaging, that's thinking of the world in new ways. And I think if you're immersed in that, whether you're actively seeking it out, whether you're a member, whether you're a subscriber and you're reading this every week, once you become immersed in it, you start to look at solutions in a different way, right? You, a problem in your community isn't a passive thing for you to like just be like, oh, I hope that someone fixes that. You can start to see interesting solutions in different ways. And, and simply by pointing things out, you can make a, a difference in your own communities or you can inspire a daughter or granddaughter, a uncle and aunt, someone in your family to go find a solution to a problem that they are. I think sometimes we need those little nudges and being immersed in solutions-based journalism and solutions-based media really does feel like this wonderful push that makes me feel more of an active part of the world. Things aren't happening to me or happening to the world. I have more agency to go be a person that can be helpful. Or if I have a friend that needs, you know, a recommendation or something like that, I can be helpful towards them. And I think that's a, it's really important that we can be there for other people and also be for ourselves to be active participants in, in the world and feel like we can actively make a difference. Oh, that is so important. So before we move on, because I've got a good question related to a point you just made, let's just rapid fire throw throw out because people are always asking me that, like, what kind of things are you talking about? Let's rapid fire, go back and forth and talk about some of the things that come to mind that we're writing about. One that comes to mind for me is this amazing article we wrote about a fellow in Africa who's discovered that single mothers make the best game wardens in Africa. And the reason for that is astoundingly obvious once you see how the system works, but this fellow is named Damien Mander. 
And he's Jane Goodall is on his board. He's an amazing guy. I interviewed him uh, also for the podcast. But just to know that somebody's out there creating a model that can be transportable around the world for protecting wildlife puts a spring in my step every day. Give me one that you think of that comes to mind. Another one that comes to mind is, and this is because I'm a whale nerd, World Economic Forum did a, looked at all of the ways that we could sequester carbon or get carbon out of our atmosphere. And they found that whales are actually the best carbon sequestration powers we have on this planet. And so they were able to like, and this sounds a little bad, but put a monetary value on the amount of carbon that whales were sequestering. And this is causing there to be this giant ripple effect in protecting whales, protecting marine life, making sure they're not getting run over by tankers, making sure that they're living healthy lives and not having too much sound around them. So no one was convinced that we should really save the whales and the, protect the whales in all these kind of other ways until we were able to say, hey, guys, these are better. Whales are better than trees at sequestering carbon. We need to care about whales for like a thousand other reasons and also the carbon sequestration, but it was just amazing that someone turned it on its head, like an economist turned everything on its head and was able to make this incredible argument that is having a lot of impact in saving whales and sort of by giving it sort of an economic value, which is very counterintuitive, but it, it does work and it is an argument that's working to protect whales in, in new ways. Another article that that I make makes me think it doesn't have to be save the whales, save the rainforest, you know, big, big, big things. He, we wrote this wonderful article about a man in India whose son died in an accident related to potholes. Apparently, it's a giant problem in India, 10,000 deaths a year related to car accidents that connect back to pothole problems because they don't have the infrastructure. So this guy, this gentleman lost his son. And instead of being stuck in a mode of grief that, that was keeping him paralyzed, he figured out a formula to repair potholes all by himself. And when we wrote about him, he had repaired over 500 potholes. And that translates to saving 3,000 lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to be save the world. It can be doing something that you're uniquely built to contribute in your little corner. Yeah. One of the ones that I love that's been on that same line is a gentleman who was a veteran and he had PTSD, but he loved fly fishing and he found that it was super meditative and improved his PTSD symptoms to go fly fishing. And so he started going to VA hospitals and doing programs that was taking that were taking veterans out and fly fishing with them. And so this organization now is in many places, but he just took, you know, his personal life experience of having PTSD and being a veteran and then took the thing that he loved and was helping him fly fishing, combined them into something that's now helped so, so many people overcome a debilitating problem that they have and live happier, more fulfilled lives just the way that he did as well. So again, it's, I think so many of these stories that I and one of the things I love about so many of the stories, when you think about the founders of many of these, what they have is this sort of wonderful way that they are looking at the world through the lens of something they love and the problem that they have, and then finding ways to put them together. And I want to say it's ingenious, but maybe that's kind of a scary term for us to do it in our own simple ways. You know, I think I like cycling and I know that cycling makes towns safer. And I have a background that understands urban design and urban development. Like, of course I should be going into my local planning and development meetings and like getting excited about cycling there. Like it's not that ingenious. All I did was like, look at a road in the, with the perspective that I have on the world, which is through the lens of a cyclist. Right. And I'm like, guys, we need a bike path here. This would make sense. And they were like, wow, great. You know? So like that could end up saving people's lives right. from getting run over. And it makes a greener city. It makes a better city. It makes a more livable city. Simply because my perspective on the world is slightly different than everybody else on that committee, but it can make a big difference. And I think that's the kind of stuff that we have to think about is like, this isn't really big stuff. And every one of these organizations that we talk about started small. They didn't immediately erupt onto the scene. They just started small with people that had good ideas and good hearts and, and, and were excited about things. And to me, that's kind of like, I guess, a behind the scenes that I see, you know, writing article after article is these are normal people who I would go have a lunch with. They're not really big, fancy kind of people that wouldn't be approachable. They're some of the most approachable people on earth because they're like us, you know, they're like you, they're, they're doing wonderful things and, and it started small and then grew. So that's something to keep in mind as you think about solutions-based media, as you're reading about these things, you know, gotta, you can inspire people around you to be excited. Yeah. And we've, it, we've got to, we've got to support it. What I always say in the four shifts, 
that I talk to people about. I have this concept that I discovered as we're sharing things behind the scenes that if you want to see more positive media, if you want to see the good things that are happening in the world, you've got, there's four simple shifts you've got to make. You've got to pause before you click on things. You've got to ignore more, like vastly ignore anything that's trying to trigger your worst impulses, fear, danger, disorder, just ignore it. And then seek signs of goodness and progress and for gosh sakes, share it. <laughs> Those are the four, the four shifts. And this sharing part, Liesl, talk to us about what we've learned about how important the share is. Yeah. Yeah. So I should say that one of the things that we discovered is when we camp with those four, when you camp with those four shifts, we thought they just applied to our online lives. Like they were going to, they do change the way that your algorithms serve you things. But we also found that in practicing them, you start to retrain the way your brain is reacting to the world. So you're, you're pausing more when you are about to have like an outburst of emotion that maybe isn't necessary, or, or you're pausing to engage in that conversation that might not be, you know, productive. You're ignoring more stuff that is negative and seeking out positive. Uh, you're seeking signs of goodness and progress. You're seeking it more. And so you can see it more often. So your brain is noticing it. It's like when you learn a new word and then suddenly you hear that word everywhere. That's how it is. And then lastly, the sharing part, you're having better and better conversations with the people around you and people around you are getting more excited. And that share part is great on the internet because a lot of the time there are so many great projects out there that no one knows about because we're not sharing that we know that they exist, right? And so I think it's okay to have unbridled enthusiasm for things that make you really excited. There's an upcoming article about why beavers can are the best, the best defense we have against these major issues of climate change. I'm very excited about it, but my unbridled joy is what makes me share it. And if more and more people know about that, then more and more people can get it in front of the people that can make a difference in implementing these solutions that these people are coming up with. Maybe I don't know the person who's in charge of my planning commission, or maybe I don't know the person who's in charge of decision-making enough to like have that be something that becomes integrated. But someone else in my community might, and the more that we share it, the more things are likely to get in front of the right people. I think a great example of this is Mary Liz Bender, who, we, who we've interviewed on the podcast before. We've had her at our summit. We've written an article. So she was putting out a new project. She talks about her, her field of interest is incredibly fascinating. She takes the insights that astronauts learn. When astronauts come back down to earth, they go from being fighter pilots and test pilots and really intense people to becoming humanitarians and artists and people that are filled with empathy. And so she's trying to make those insights. How do we get people to have the same kind of empathy for people that astronauts come back with? She's trying to bring those insights to us down here, people that may, may not never leave, may never leave orbit. And she came to us with an article. She pitched us an article and we were like, oh, this sounds really cool. Let's share it. Let's share this article that she's writing. You know, we were sharing on our own platform. And it turns out that when we shared that article on Twitter, the man who wrote the book that we, that like sort of changed her life, saw that, that this article had gone out, saw who she was and reached out to her. And then he became her mentor. And Frank White put her in front of many, many people that have now changed the trajectory of her life and the trajectory of her organization. And now her, she is doing just absolutely incredible projects because we were willing, you know, she was willing to put herself out there with unbridled enthusiasm. And we were wanting to share that with other people with un unbridled enthusiasm. And then yeah, it she, got to the right person, right? Like she became this is uh, the deal. Bill Nye's assistant. And then didn't she become one of the first people to be in this sort of mock mission to Mars? She's now working with NASA and many, many of the astronauts directly now. Yeah. Yeah. So she had been Bill, Bill Nye's uh, assistant before writing the article for us, but then at the, one of his assistants at the um, Planetary Society. And then, yeah, so she was on one of these mock missions to Mars that happens out in Hawaii. And it's really cool. They wear spacesuits and she was, she's also an artist. So she was like bringing the concept of art into space. What would that look like? And now she works directly with many, many astronauts who, you know, she couldn't have dreamed of talking to. And now her life is totally opened up because again, of that unbridled enthusiasm and her willingness to share her experiences, but also then us being really willing to share her experiences with others. I don't want to take any direct credit for her success or of any kind. I don't want to make it sound like that, but we were a part of getting her in front of the right people because we were willing to share. And so that's what I, when I, when we talk about the concept of sharing, 
That's what we're talking about. We're talking about, I'm sharing it with you. You're sharing it with the next person. The next person is sharing it. And then it gets in front of the right person to really get it into the right hands. That's the power of sharing is that kind of like, what is it like six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Like who, who we're all connected to someone who can be incredibly helpful to many of these projects by like two or three degrees. And so you, know, you never know who you could share and have, you know, this enthusiasm with that it gets in front of the right person. So that's yeah. the power we all have to push push all of these wonderful things forward. Well, you know, we have been curating some of the best TED Talks as well, the very, very ultra best, because I know that world's so important and so filled with people of gravity that most of us don't know where to start. So we've been sharing a lot of the really, really best ones. And we had an, ep- an episode of the podcast where we interviewed Principal Wayman. That's what she's what she's referred to. Linda Clay Wayman is the principal who changed the fourth most dangerous high school in the world, in the United States, with love. And what an interview. And in the end, she got a great nonprofit that she started to help the kids in North Philly, funded for a year because somebody shared that podcast episode and it landed in the ears of a very influential person in Philadelphia. So this sharing, you know, seeking goodness and then sharing it is what it's all about. And Mm -hmm. of course, that's what we're all about. Um, Mm -hmm. That's at the basis of what we're doing. So that's a little secret of the internet for people. If you want to have some kind of impact, when you see something that, that inspires a sense of wonder in you or hope, for gosh sake, share it. <laughs> yeah. Share it. Like not just on Facebook, share it in an email, tell the yeah. person that why you thought of them when you saw it. I think the number of times that I've done that, and then that person comes back and says, oh my gosh, thank you. This was so wonderful. You know, not about just our own articles, but other things out there in the yes. world. It's important. It's really important. And it's a little gift we can give to other people while also doing good in the world. So it's a, it seems like a small thing, but you know, a silly action, but it's, it can really have a high impact for people. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about more behind the scenes things, secrets, tips for people so that they get a better media feed and we'll enjoy more, more insights from with Liesl. Dr. Linda here. If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for insight and innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded the Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete, positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee-deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and yet they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. And at the Goodness Exchange, you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the Goodness Exchange community. No one with good ideas and good intentions need feel alone again. You are right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world, and we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. Okay, we're back. So we're going to continue our conversation with Liesl Ulrich Verderber, co-founder of a marvelous website in the world called The Goodness Exchange, and also a world traveler, a Harvard grad, putting that great education to work to make the world and the future a better place. So Liesl's background has become uh, an extraordinary experience in modern media and how we create solutions-based media rather than problems-based media. We've all had it up to here with that. So, Liesl, the the gist of this conversation is about um, 
making media that matters and maybe slow media is something that we need to have a bit of a conversation about. You know, we're all into the two second sound bites. I'm producing some wisdom, some videos for our project and social media to be helpful with interviews some from the slot leaders I'm talking to. And we tried, tried, tried to make them one minute because everybody keeps telling us that's how long people will pay attention. I'm telling you, you can't do anything meaningful in one minute. So <laughs> they're going to be two. But my point is, is can we get out of this mode? Is there some way, you know, there's this new movement called slow birding. There's a movement <laughs> about slow other slow things. Food. Like, yeah. Slow food that just like taking the urgency yeah. and the craziness out of how we spend our minutes. Talk to me about slow media. Yeah. So slow media, I don't know. I don't know if it's already a term out there or if I'm just pushing really hard for it to become a term, but I love the idea of slow media because I think it's counterintuitive that this would be, that I see this as a trend, but I really do think that it is becoming a trend. We're seeing major pr content producers on YouTube and in other places really slowing down and making better quality videos fewer and fewer times a month, or they're really, I think we're experiencing right now, the fallout of like a lot of burnout from media creators on the internet, whether that's journalists, whether that's YouTubers, whether that's bloggers, vloggers, whatever, right? All the different kinds of media content creator you can be. And though things like TikTok are exploding and you're seeing reels take over your Instagram and shorts take over your YouTube. I really do think that we are, are entering a period of wanting more slow media. And I say that because I think we've just reached a threshold of inundation with content that as a, like you were saying it's really quick but it's not very it's it doesn't provide a lot of depth and so it just is constantly like spiking your emotions and i think i like in in, in getting our emotions constantly spiked it makes it more and more difficult to make simple decisions to show up for work show up to our families show up to our kids show up to our nieces and nephews to show up to all the people in our lives and the decisions we have to make in a way that is clear headed and i think a really good maybe way to explain this, a good metaphor for this is imagine that I made you sprint to the end of your driveway and back. And then as soon as you got back before you could catch your breath before, while your heart rate was still up, while you were still kind of experiencing the thrill of the sprint, not even the thrill, the panic of the sprint. And I was yelling at you the whole time, by the way, to go faster that you came back. And then I started inundating you with questions. What do you want for dinner? What are you doing? Why is the sky blue? Like imagine how a little kid asks you rapid fire questions, right? That is essentially what we are doing to ourselves when we scroll on TikTok or we scroll through our Twitter feeds or we scroll through the endless news bites. And then your coworker turns to you and says like, when is that paper due, right? Or when is that report due? Or is that report done? Now you are then responding in that or to your child, when is dinner? You're responding to people in that heightened sense of, you know, your, your adrenaline is up. You're in a heightened state, right? Now imagine... Instead, okay, we have that feeling, that sort of panicked feeling. I'm feeling it right now. I hope you are too. Imagine then if we switch that over and you had gone, you and I had gone for a long walk and we had just chatted about things that made us happy or the things that were wonderful in the day. We had listened to the birds. We had gone to our favorite beach or our favorite woodland path, right? We'd gone on the slow walk, right? And we'd gotten what we needed out of it. And then we came back and our kid asked us when dinner was, or our coworker asked us when that report was due or when they were going to get onto their desk. We would probably respond to those people in an entirely different way. And we would process any questions that were thrown at us in an entirely different way. We would not be making sort of from the hip decisions constantly. We would be making decisions probably in a more measured and thoughtful way. And so when I talk about slow media and, and why we need to incorporate slow media into our lives, it's because having all this fast media in our lives is changing the way that we respond to other people. It's changing the way that we make decisions. It's changing our way, our, the way that we live in all these ways that we can't really see until we kind of do that kind of mental gymnastics of imagine I was, because what we're doing, <laughs> you know, very often we're like laying in bed. We're supposed to be in a relaxing place as we're like scrolling through all these things, right? So we think, ah, I'm in a relaxed place. This is not affecting me negatively, but our brains are still going a thousand miles an hour. And so no, it is, though we might be in a relaxing place, our brains are not in a relaxed state. And so that is changing the way that we react to so many things in our lives and the decisions we make in, I would argue, like a pretty negative way. Um, our fuses so, are shorter. So uh, this 
brings to mind a great conversation I had with with a wonderful journalist named Oliver Berkman. It's episode 83. He <laughs> he wrote articles about time management for The Guardian for 10 years. And then one day he was walking on the beach with his four-year-old. And he tells a story of, of walking along and the four-year-olds asking a million questions. And he's, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, no, doing that notion because he realized that in the back of his brain, he was rehashing some news stories, some dreadful things that he'd heard first thing in the morning. And he had this aha moment that, you know, this moment with his four-year-old son was never coming again. And yet the bad news and the, and the scary manipulation of our worldview is just coming and coming and coming. And so that's it. He, in fact, had to quit his job for The Guardian because time management to him, that whole concept of time management, shifted. Mm. It's all about what you decide to give your attention to. Mm-hmm. And that is a decision we, we barely consider, that we have a choice. Is it your thoughts that, that slow media or even slow anything allows us to exercise one of the arguably uh, Victor Frankl's man search for meaning and many other great wise people have reminded us that in the end, it's only our choice, mm. that our ability to choose what to give our attention to, our perspective. That's the bottom line of what we've got left. Yeah, I think that I think it's it's choosing, but it's also practicing, if that makes any sense, because we have to re like it's not gonna be easy to do any of this. Like I would much rather scroll through like endless short videos. I mean, I do it anyway. Am I a hypocrite? I don't know. Take my own advice. I would I still do it, but I also now can recognize that like that is changing the way that I react to my partner. It's changing the way re- I react to my work. And so I think it's becoming aware of the ways in which things impact us. Maybe there's a time and a place to consume all the funny short videos in the world, but maybe it's never going to be healthy for me to consume media content, uh, you know, like the news, the day's news in those quick bites, right? So I think it's really choosing and then deciding to practice these different ways of being and then reflecting on, I think the real change comes from reflecting on and being aware of what we're doing mindlessly and remembering to check in on, on, on those choices and say, ah, is this really what I want to be doing right now? Or can I, or should I be doing something else? Not to should on anyone's life, but can I be doing something else that makes me feel more abundant and more excited and more expansive after I do it, as opposed to making my life feel smaller and smaller, like my life isn't good enough or whatever it is, right? There's all these ways that, that media can creep in and affect us. Oh, that is such a good point too. It's really looking for those sources of feeling expanded instead of feeling like you've got to contract, you've got to pull in, you've got to hide. Yeah. And I mean, they've done studies. So Facebook did this test where they basically tested whether or not people could be affected by, like their emotions could be impacted by what they were seeing. So they tested like people, they showed more negatively charged things to people and to see if they would post more negatively charged things. And then they showed people more positively charged things. And then people were posting more positively charged things. So we know when it comes to just the ideas of negative and positive, that we can have, they have like a deep emotional resonance with us, whether or not we realize it. And so I think this is also happening to other emotions, whether that's jealousy, oh, I saw her wedding was so fabulous or, oh, their vacation looks so amazing or whatever, or even the news looks so terrible from what I'm seeing. We can flip that and absorb things that make us feel more abundant, make us feel more empowered, make us feel all these other ways. And it really is about sort of curating our our feeds a little bit. And then also if you're not a feeds person, being very very aware of how the interactions that we're going through the day with or how what we're listening to, watching, reading is impacting us. And what is that? What emotion did I leave with? And what was the emotional tone of the thing that I was looking at? Right. And see if you start to see a correlation between those things, because you might, (laughs) because there's some science that says you might, and then decide from there what emotional state you want to be in. And we can't all be in like happy rose colored glasses states all the time. I think one of the most important things is that we're never telling anybody to turn off the news. We need to be aware of what's happening in the world. We need to be aware of the issues that we face. We need to be aware of some of the conflicts that going are going on, but we need to be able to understand it and then 
I don't want to say move on, but we don't need to inundate ourselves constantly with every single second of breaking news from it. You know, if that stuff is important, it will end up in whatever slow news feed that you choose. For instance, like I like listening to The Daily and a couple other podcasts, NPR Politics podcasts that come out once a day. They give me a roundup of what occurred. Sometimes I will just listen to one of those a week, especially on the politics side, because anything that's major will come up on the Friday, you know? And so I'm not inundating myself every day with things. And there's a couple of podcasts that I've had to stop listening to over the pandemic, frankly, because they were just kind of doing one fear after another fear after another fear. And I, and I was like, although these things are important for me to know, they're not leaving me feeling empowered to do anything. And I've found that there's some podcasts that I've gravitated back to after that moment and and others not. I think we were all struggling with how to cover things like the pandemic in a way that felt productive. So yeah, it's really a matter of, and maybe for me, that that podcast doesn't work, but for you, it does. But just notice... Notice the mood that you're in, the emotions that you have after you've consumed a piece of media and ask if that's, if at the end you feel empowered to do something or you feel more knowledgeable instead of like irate or angry or fearful or think these emotional reactions more, you know what it feels like when you've been, when you have had an education, you feel more knowledgeable. It's a different feeling than feeling irate, right? Like those are two different feelings. And I think we confuse a lot of the time feeling knowledgeable with feeling irate or like indignant or on our own high horse about something. Just be aware of those feelings that there's a different between like, oh, I now understand that concept. And like, I understand the concept and I'm angry because maybe you don't understand the concept. You're just angry. Those are different feelings. Yeah. You know, this is, I love this uh, as a little tip for everyone, this, this noticing how they make you feel. Mm-hmm. So this is, I, some people listening to the podcast may know I, I'm, I'm a dentist for 30 plus years and you really won't know whether your dentist is doing a good job that, that, that we're talking about minutia um, that determine excellence versus not excellence in this field of dentistry. But you know what we always taught our staff, people won't know that, but they will know how we made them feel. Mm. And that is the, the one thing that we can hang on to when we try and have a more engaged life with what we're allowing to come into our world. Mm-hmm. We can say, how did it make me feel? For instance, we never tell people to turn off the news. We, I agree with you. We, we have to be informed about the news. But what we have to know is after we hear a news story from a certain outlet, how it left us feeling. And I'll just say now, I find that how I get my news is it takes me 15 minutes to get into town. So I listen to NPR for 15 minutes. They tell some hard stories, but they never make me feel hopeless. Mm. And on my way back, I listen to the BBC, which gives me a more global view for 15 minutes. And I figure anything that didn't make those two windows in my knowledge base, I may not need to know about until some other future time. Right. right. But the bottom line, yes. But the bottom line is, is that, well, let me put it pretty succinctly. I heard a wonderful journalist from the Washington Post, and I'll give her credit in the show notes. She talked about three things that solution-paced journalism has that we can all look for. One, you will be left with hope. Two, they will protect people's dignity. And three, they will give you agency which Mm. is a great word for what the heck to do next. Like, what if that were the standard that journalists aspired to? Give people some hope, even with the hardest news, protect everybody's dignity that we're writing about and talking about. And three, tell people what they could do next to have an impact on that situation. I think that would be a beautiful world, even if we got there only partially. Yeah, yeah, I think not just, you know, journalists, but I think any content creator. I mean, we're all content creators in some way, right? Like we're anytime we post on social media, we're creating content. I think, you know, any of the big social media stars that they start out as someone that just posted every once in a while on their favorite social media site, right? So I think all of us can do those three things. And I think that protecting people's dignity thing is really important. And I think the like hope agency and protecting people's dignity, I don't think you can go wrong with those three things. And you can talk about a wide range of subjects and be able to do all those things. I think that that is definitely feels like it should be and could be the future of the way that we create media and create content, which for now, you know, is is pretty internet based. Mm -hmm. Absolutely lovely. Okay. So let's just tick off some things that you and I learned that it would be hard to have 
known whether you, unless you walked in our shoes. So people are like instantly savvy. We, I'm not sure we totally nailed what's newsworthy. Mm. Like it's the rare stuff, right? Like our brains tell us because we hear about yeah. it all day long that yeah. it's that it's common, but it's well, not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the thing about news, right? Like, and I think we've probably said this before. And so, you know, here's a refresher is that, you know, news is newsworthy because it doesn't happen that often. So planes crashing, people dying, mass shoot, whatever, right? These things are newsworthy because they don't actually happen that often. But our brains are developed to basically, the more that we see something happening, the more we think of it as reality, right? So the brain sort of starts to look for signs of dangerous danger and disorder because that's what we're consuming three or four hours a day. I mean, you think about how much time the news is on around us. It's a lot of hours a day, right? Or the news are scrolling, whatever. So that starts to change the way we look at the world. And that's where I think we have to remember, and this gives us some agency to know that this is how our how the world works and how our brains work, is if we're going to consume news, consume it in pieces. You don't, or you know, don't consume it in large chunks, consume it to a level of satiety, not beyond, right? So it's just like when you're eating a chocolate cake, right? There's a level of satiety. And then there is like eating just because you, you just love the chocolate cake. And I think some of us like the news, right? Like I think it gives us connection or it makes us feel like we're connected to the world when maybe we're being isolated or whatever it is, right? We like the noise in the background, but at the same time, that's kind of consuming beyond satiety and then maybe change the channel or change the change what you're listening to, to something else that makes you feel more expansive or, or what have you. Uh, yeah, so this great. Uh, yeah. Share with me that great little salad news diet. You have this great diet analogy you make with oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. consuming negative content. Yeah. I think, you know, consuming, we need to consume. So, you know, like any healthy meal, right? There are big, healthy, big meals. Let's say you go to like a wonderful, well-rounded meal. You can't eat that every five seconds. You can't eat that every five seconds, right? And some of the new stuff that we're getting put on our plate is necessary. We need that sustenance, but we keep consuming and over-consuming and over. And then it makes us feel kind of sick and ill or angry and fearful, right? And then sometimes after all of that, we then are given like a small little bonbon at the end. That's like, oh, and here's something nice. Just, here's a little sweet thing. And then we're like, oh, that makes me feel something good, maybe. But what I like to think of, you know, the goodness exchange, the stuff that we create is sort of like, you know, a really healthy salad that's like very approachable. It's not like a niçoise that I can't understand all the concept of, but it's like, here's like a solid organic salad made with local produce that is in season that will make you feel good and will leave you able to like walk through the rest of your day without feeling lethargic and unhappy, right? And we need to make sure that we're consuming a more media balanced diet, a media diet, right? Maybe we have that one big meal a day that makes us feel super nourished. We don't have to eat it every five minutes. Maybe we have the salad at a different point of the day that makes us feel good and bright and happy and like we can keep taking on the day. And then every once in a while we can consume the bonbon or every once in a while we can consume the junk food of, you know, my Instagram feed, which is ironically a lot of cooking shows. But yeah, so every once in a while you can consume those things. But it really is the way, if we thought about media, the way that we think about a balanced diet, I think we would start to understand the way in which the things that are like junk food affect us and the things that are like eating a steak dinner over and over again affect us too. Yeah. And you know, the junk food thing, I think we should say a few things that we've learned over our time curating the internet. There are a, a real huge number of folks creating internet content specifically and by design to trigger our most primitive impulses, mm -hmm. to trigger the part of our brain called the amygdala that's looking out for danger and disorder. And sad, sad as it is, it just is a game being played with our emotions. And these emotions are 40,000 to 100,000 years old. We just haven't caught up yet our ability to choose. I want to want us both to share a few tips with people on how we consume news. I'll start. I, If I'm questioning whether somebody's got an agenda, I, I just don't consume news that has an agenda. I used to, I'll admit, I had my favorite show that I would tune into the favorite newscaster. And I've just decided <laughs> she's not being thoughtful and helpful and measured ever. ever. <laughs> she's just constantly raising the drama level of things. And so I just, I'm unimpressed. I, I really am looking for the thoughtful, measured voices that can be helpful, mm -hmm. not the ones ratcheting up the drama. 
because there is a way to be thoughtful, measured, and helpful and say hard things to us that we need to hear in the news. So I'll give people one little tip if you're not really sure whether your news source is unbiased and, or maybe you think it is, it is unbiased, but here's the tip. Turn down the volume and watch the newscaster giving you the news. And if they're gesticulating, if their face is making all kinds of emotional twists and turns, if you can tell what emotion they have, then they are not just straight up telling you the story. They are trying to influence yeah. you. Yeah. And that's a bias and there's an agenda there. Mm-hmm. So I turn off the I turn off the sound and if I can't tell what emotion they have, that's a good thing. And I watch the folks that just lay it out there, tell me like it is, and then let me decide what to think about it. How about you? I mean, I always like to say that like a lot of the good stuff that's happening out in the world is kind of unsexy. You know what I mean? Like it's when we talk about oh, you know, we'll talk about these amazing things that we write about and um, people are like, oh, I've never heard about that before. Yeah, because it's not super sexy. Like it took 10 years for them to get there. A lot of it was like trying to find funding, failing and failing and failing over again. It's the kind of stuff you'd watch in like a, a long documentary. It's not kind of the stuff that would be like, let me explain this to you in a two second sound bite. And so like, I think, and it goes like, I think like to your point, like if you turn down the sound on things and the person looks boring, right? It seems unsexy to some extent, right? It's like, oh, it's not super appealing because they're not gesticulating wildly and their eyebrows aren't up into their hairline. That's kind of unsexy if someone is just reading the news straight up. But sometimes that's kind of what you need to do. A, a vibe, like, as, as the kids would say, I'm an elder millennial, apparently. A vibe check is what they call. So we can all vibe check our media a little bit better, I think. Uh, I think it's a good use of that word. I got to run that by Ellen, resident Gen Z. So yeah, I think that there's all these ways that we can be checking the media for what we're doing and asking ourselves, is this a flash in the pan moment? Is like, what is the length that this is going to matter in history? Or what is the length that this has been worked on, right? And, you know, like, that's another way of, of checking the media. I'm not, and I don't want to deter anybody from like, every once and again, I do want to indulge in like, what the heck is going on with the Kardashians? Just so I can like have a conversation with a friend who might love the Kardashians, right? But I don't need to consume that all the time. I understand that that in the vast landscape of media, that that's probably, I'm not going to share that. I'm definitely going to share, you know, more about the rainforest connection than I will that. And it's just kind of understanding the length of and pace of what we're doing and why we're consuming the media we consume. Like, are we consuming it mindlessly? Are we consuming it because we're curious? Are we consuming it because we're morbidly curious? Are we consuming it because it brings us delight? Are we consuming it because it brings us wonder? Like, give yourself a full vocabulary, a range of all the emotions and feelings that are out there. I don't know, Google like wide range of emotions and try and like name the emotion that this is is, is eliciting in you. Because then you start to like learn and have a practice of and like that sounds very woo-woo to have a practice of knowing what you are doing, but you do, you get to have a better practice for being like, why? And you have more intention and in being like, why am I consuming this? Do I need to consume this now? Is it helpful? Is it making me angry? Yada, yada, yada. It's really, that's, that's, a really that's what I do tip. kind of on a daily basis. That's a really good tip. You know, let's tell, as we close here, let's sort of head to the finish line by telling people about some more of our stories, how our process works. People always ask me, you know, how do you know? First of all, we should say that on the Goodness Exchange, and for that matter, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, we're we're not we're not doing puppies in mailboxes stuff, little little spash in the pan delights, which are obviously funny, fun little nice things to hear. We I don't know where we ever got that analogy, puppies in mailboxes, but that's how we affectionately refer to those little tiny stories that are just oh, isn't that nice? But we're we're telling people about stuff that should be newsworthy that are, oh my gosh, so many cool things are happening right now that no one has any idea about. And we have a process for how we pick this. We really go carefully and check our sources, but uh, let's give people a little rundown of how our process works because oh, yesterday, or yes, yesterday was is a good example of three videos that we watched and chose yesterday. Yeah. So one of the things that I think most key to our process, this is the secret sauce, is really, are we enthusiastic about it? Right? Like we won't, someone might pitch an article and be like, I, I don't love, like, I think this is a great concept for us to write about, but I am not excited about it. And we'll hand it off to another writer on the team who is a, as excited about it as possible. Because I think one of the things we try and write, like we're having coffee with a friend, like a very knowledgeable friend who might be like a little bit nerdy sometimes, but you know, 
can be normal most of the time. And yeah, you have to have enthusiasm. You have to have like that unbridled enthusiasm that I was talking about earlier in order to get so ecstatic about everything that you want to share it, that you want to get it out there into the world. And so like, for instance, you know, we, and this is, you're getting a behind the scenes of what's coming up. We wrote, we pitched an article about the web telescope. And as much as I love the images that are coming from the web telescope, I'm almost too much of a science. Like I see those images and like, oh yeah. And it's not because I'm not enthusiastic. I'm like the biggest Star Trek nerd there isn't. I love the idea of thinking about what's out there in space, but I have a very niche reason why I love space. And it's not necessarily, I think, a, a wide reaching, you know, reason why I love space. But, you know, on our team, another writer was in love with those images. And she's like, well, I don't want to write about it because I'm not a science writer. And I was like, well, then don't write about it from the science angle. Write about it why it inspires you as a non-sciencey person to think broader about the universe, right? Or, you know, like I have an unbridled enthusiasm right now for, like I was saying, beavers and wetlands and all these things I didn't know. Very often my gauge is like, do I want to immediately drop everything and go have a job, take a job with them? Like, does that job sound really interesting is now my like kind of new yes. thing. So it's like that, or someone that's replanting a forest in Iceland or someone that's, re you know, like, these are the things that get me really excited. And so when I'm writing about it, I think I write in more a different way or the way that Renee writes. I mean, Renee is producing, if you haven't read Renee's articles and you want something that are like just pure, purely amazing writing that makes you feel like the world is abundant, that makes you feel like anything is possible. Renee has been doing some incredible pieces. She just put out one about why we laugh that I was crying in an Ace Hardware as I edited it. I think each one of us brings our own special spark to the writing because we have unbridled enthusiasm for the things we write about. And if that's, what and if that's we could all we'll work in do, that way? Yeah. Right. If one, if somebody on our team doesn't have unbridled enthusiasm, we just pass on it. Yeah. So, and I think we embrace the diversity of what we're enthusiastic about. And I think right. if, if you're a business owner or if you are whatever, if you're working with other people, like learn what, makes everybody around you enthusiastic and make sure they're getting to do that because and indulge in that enthusiasm because you'll get more out of people. You will get more from people. You'll get more from the people that love you and are your customers or your whatever. If you allow people that have unbridled enthusiasm on your team to embrace that unbridled enthusiasm every once in a while and, and be able to express that to your readers, your customers, your whomever. It's so critical to, to let joy be a part of the work that you do. Yeah, so that's a good place to to wrap up this conversation is, you know, our whole ethos, I'd have to say, if you really force me to get it down to one to one sentence, is that we want people to have less fear and more joy. Mm -hmm. And because of the work we do and how hard we have curated the media landscape, we know that that joy is all around us. There's so much to be joyful about. And, and there is so much to be fearful about and it's about finding a balance. Yeah. And if, and the day that we don't need to run the goodness exchange anymore is the day that there is a balance available to us all of what we need to care about and what is a bright future evolving for us all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you know, Liz, tell us where people can can connect with you if they'd like to give you tips, if they'd like to chime in on what we can do better at the Goodness Exchange, if people have guests that they know would be just super special or people that we should write about, where should they connect? Yes, yeah, so you can connect with us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of that. So you can connect with us there. And then, but the best way to reach out directly to us is on our website, goodness-exchange.com. So there's a little hyphen in there, goodness-exchange.com. And there you can go to our contact page. There's a wonderful form. You can fill out why you're reaching out, whether it's you have a suggestion for a podcast host or you have a question or whatever. That's sort of the best way to get to us. And then if you want to connect with all of this goodness, if you're not already, um, you can become a member of the Goodness Exchange. Uh, it's just $22 a year or $2 a month. So like less than a cup of coffee. And you can be sitting down with said cup of coffee every single day and reading about some extraordinarily wonderful thing that's happening in the world. And, and you can become a member of the Goodness Exchange. And if you're not quite ready to make that commitment, that's okay. We do have a mailing list where you can, you can see our articles, but um, you only get, I think, three to five free a month. So you will have to become a, a member to read 
the whole, you know, everything that's out there. But again, it's $2. It's way less than a cup of coffee to be able to really experience all this joy and wonder in the world. So do join us over there at goodnessexchange.com where you can read all of these wonderful articles. Uh, you can really dive in and get inspired, feel inspired, send it to your kid that's looking for a new job or your friend that is really enthusiastic about the environment or your cousin who is loves fishing. You know, there's something literally for everyone. That's one of the things we've really cultivated is there's something for everyone at the Goodness Exchange. So please come join yeah. us. And that membership, it's like a vote mm. for a different future than what we're seeing in most of the media. And if projects like ours, there are others, if projects like ours that celebrate insight and innovation start rising to the top, then that's where the money and the future goes. Yeah, that's where so the focus will go. we need to be able to show other media outlets that good news matters, that media solution-based journalism matters, and, and you can help us with that by supporting the Goodness Exchange. Now, to wrap up here, I want to give people a really concrete tip. I recently interviewed episode 96 is with a wonderful thought leader named Cole Baker Bagwell. And she... <laughs> She led us off with this great concept called blanket cactus. So when we wake up in the morning, we roll over and we put our hand on our phone, like so many of us do. We have this moment where we get to choose what we first lay our eyes on, what first enters our consciousness. Will it be a cactus or will it be like a blanket? that we can put around us to help us through the harsh points of our day. Talk to me about how people can use the Goodness Exchange to start their day with blanket concepts instead of jumping into breaking news or social media. And that's like throwing yourself on a cactus. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about one good tip. Yeah. One of the big benefits of membership over anything else is that you get access to our app, which is where all of our stuff lives. It's in this ad-free space. It's in this home of its own. It's an app on your phone. We're used to opening up apps in the morning. So you can just open up that app and it's this wonderful little oasis of blanket things. It's I think it's like a blanket app, honestly. Uh, it's the Goodness Exchange app. Uh, you can get to it by uh, becoming a member. And there you'll find all of our articles. They're really easy to find. They're really easy to favorite. You can search by category. You can search by type of content that you like to see. So it really is a wonderful way to distraction-free, be able to access content that'll leave you feeling uplifted and abundant in your morning. Yeah, that's this is the gist of Cole's of Cole's concept here is that we whether it's the Goodness Exchange or a favorite positive podcast or some lovely meditation or maybe it's it's music whatever just think about how precious that initial few minutes of the morning are and then treat them as if they're mm -hmm. precious. She mm -hmm. has a she runs a big institution called the Kindness Corporation, where she's teaching kindness in corporations. And she knows the science behind this. What we begin our day with sets the tone for the entire day. And we can imagine a world where we all are a bit more savvy with our what we give our attention to, and we can create a future that we all feel good about. So thank you, Liesl, for joining us. Thank you yeah, for thank being you. our producer. Uh, I hope the thoughts and ideas that Liesl and I chatted about will fill the rest of your week with hope and you will have, you will see the kind of world around you that we're writing about and celebrating and, and highlighting every day. Thanks. Thank you so much.